Welcome to everyone from our side. It's an honor to be here. It's a privilege to be here, and it's great to be here this morning. Um, I would like to share and start off with to say that, you know, I'm an ordinary guy with no theology degree. I make mistakes every day of my life. I don't spend hours in the Bible and pray every day. Uh, my wife and I have disagreements. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being real. I'm just, this is who I am. I'm here because of God's grace. Um, I, I know God's goodness. I've been to the other side. I've been lost, but I'm now I'm saved. I'm a son of the Most High God. I see His goodness every day in my marriage, my child. So this morning I'm, I'm speaking from a place of, of knowing who God is, knowing what God has done for me in my life. And on my heart for this morning, as you can see, is just us being real. This morning I want all of us to just be real with one another, with yourself, and most importantly with God. And I want to just ask to who has been to the doctor before in your life? In this church, I might as well have asked, who here are doctors? And they probably also raise all their hands with lots of, a lot of doctors in this building. So what do we do when we go to the doctor? We go to the doctor and we tell the doctor in as much detail as possible what is wrong with us in detail. And why do we do that? We do that because we want the doctor to hear exactly all the symptoms Everything that's wrong with us, so the doctor can make an accurate diagnosis and give us the right medication to make us better. And I can testify of this, and I'm not a doctor, but I can testify of this because a month ago, my boy, James, he's 20 months, at a 40 degree um, temperature, eyes were red, he was lying on the couch. I've never seen him like that before, it broke my heart, I was worried, my wife and I were worried, concerned about our boy, he's always full of love, always running around always hitting balls and kicking balls. And all of a sudden, he's just lying there. And um, I rushed him to the doctor. I couldn't wait to get into the doctor's room because there was a queue. And praise God, the nurse could see my worry and I think um, my boy's face and the temperature. So they pushed us up in the queue into his rooms and I could tell the doctor, this is what's wrong with my boy. Look at him. He's never like this. And he checked him out with a lot of fighting and tears and snot and trauma and everything. But the doctor could make a diagnosis of tonsillitis give him the right medication, the antibiotics, and in a few days my boy was better. And that's what we do. We go to the doctor and we tell him in detail from A to Z what's wrong with us. But we come to church where God is ready to heal us, to restore us, to give us hope again, to save us, and we say nothing. We sit here, we put our masks on, we smile and we wave. I'm fine, thank you, God. People come and ask you, morning, how are you doing this morning? I'm fine, thank you. Nothing wrong. But you're broken inside. You're broken inside from marital problems, financial stress, um, heartbroken over relationships, divorce, whatever it might be. But we sit here and we say, I'm fine, thank you. And we leave this building unchanged with, a, with, a, with the God of God, the healer of all healers, the lover of our souls. He's here to save us to restore us, to give us hope this morning. So this morning I want to ask you, let's take the mask off this morning, let's be real with one another, let's be real with God, and let's tell Him what is wrong with us and why do we need Him this morning. Um, I was preparing for the message, I just sense this, this example of someone lying in the road somewhere with horrible chest pains, having a heart attack, attack and in that moment, there's a, a person walking past and, and happens to be a doctor, it happens to be a cardiologist, a specialist with heart conditions. And in that moment, 
He looks down at this person lying there, busy dying, and he says, are you okay? What's wrong? Can I help you? And in that moment, that person, you and I sometimes, in that moment, we have the opportunity to make a decision to say, I can't breathe, I've got chest pain. Help me. Or what we always do most of the time is, you fake a smile and say, I'm okay, thank you. Let's go along. And in that moment, it's life or death. It's life or death. If you don't say to that guy, you need help, you'll die. And this morning, I want to encourage you to speak out to God, to reach out to God, because He is here this morning. God's always ready to heal us, to save us, give us hope, restore us. We just need to take the mask off and be real, because you know, many of us, and I did it myself in my life, we have, we have a Sunday person, and we have a weak person. So the Sunday Christian is the one who comes to church with the mask on, and like, how's it? Yes, mm, lacquer. But in a week, you do your own thing. You get drunk, you mess around, you fight with your wife, you do this, you do that. Everything against God's will, because you're broken. You're broken inside, you're lost, you're isolated, you're condemned. And we come to church on a Sunday, and we put up a face. And this morning, I want to ask us to, let's make the... The, the, the Jimmy, the Sunday Jimmy, the same as the Saturday, Friday Jimmy, and the whole, whole life Jimmy, because we can't, we can't walk around with masks on and bluff ourselves. And the best thing about being real with friends and community, and I can, I can testify again from experience, is that people here love you. People here in the church, community, our friends, they love us. My wife and I, a couple of years ago, we started for, trying for a family, didn't fall pregnant, there was a miscarriage, didn't fall pregnant. And we kept it to ourselves for a long time because you kind of embarrassed and you kind of think, I can't tell people that. You know, like, they know what we're doing. You know? um, and I believe that lie and we like kept it to ourselves. And in the meantime, it's just the enemy stealing from us because we're too proud and just too stupid to open up to our friends in church who love us and say, listen, yeah, we've been trying for family for a couple of months or whatever it might be. Please pray with us. And praise God, we did. We did. We spoke to Dion and Kuba, amongst others, and invited us over to their house. We break uh, the communion. We prayed together. And within a month or two after that, God blessed us with a beautiful boy. Because we were real. We shared our deepest hurts and struggles with, with people who love us and with God. So if you need a baby, you want babies, um, Kuba and Dion will give you the number afterwards. Okay, um... So why being real? Why this topic? And it, this is so clear to me after the men's camp this year again, and it's, it was our fourth one, that every year it seems that men's camp just becomes better and more powerful and more men meet with God and have an encounter with God. And it, just, it was just such a, you know, a simple revelation that the only reason why this happens is because it's a bunch of guys, 60 plus guys at the camp, away from family, away from people um, around them, just the men, and it's an opportunity and a platform to be real. And we have guys sharing their hearts, sharing their testimonies, sharing their battles and their struggles with one another. And all of a sudden, it, it opens up the, the door. It opens up the platform to say, listen, yeah, if you can share this, I can also share my battles. And people open up to God. Men open up to God, and they are healed. They are set free. They have encounters with God because of realness. There's no place for fakeness in, in the Christian, Christian life. So, you know, every year after men's camp, people will say, I never knew they battled with that. I never knew this was part of his, his battle. And, and it's only because men, and sometimes all of us, don't open up here. But there's a men's camp or ladies' retreat, and all of a sudden, we share. We share our hearts, we share our struggles, and we open up. And God gives us the breakthrough that we need 
So let's, let's take the men's camp realness and the ladies retreat realness and the mighty men karoo realness where we're away in the, in the karoo alone with God and we open up to Him, but yet in our community and our everyday lives, here in Shofar, wherever you go to church, we are not being real. And I'm going to show you just um, a, a short testimony of a guy who came to a men's camp last year. And just to give you some background to, to he's a good friend of mine. They live in PE. Um, currently, he lives in Australia. He plays cricket over there. So I knew what happens on men's camp. I knew that God touches people's lives at men's camp because he just, he just does that. That's how he rolls. So on this men's camp, I said to him, my friend, you must come from PE. We're offered us halfway. We'll meet you there. You know a few people already from golf. When you come visit us, just come. You know, something and arming, and and eventually he came. And um, you'll hear his testimony. He starts off. He was baptized here on the Sunday after the men's camp. Um, in his testimony, he starts off by saying that he didn't want to come. He had all kinds of excuses. And let's just let's just watch that. Put the lights off, please. One of the ushers. And I started thinking of things of, of almost getting out of it, like, you know, lies, and I don't need it, and it's, it's not for me type thing. But, um, you know, I think it's a good thing that, that, that Jimmy's baptizing me today. He's, you know, the, the guy back in South Africa who's, you know, like my rock when I'm out there in Australia, and, and you know, things get tough sometimes. Um, you know, different country to, to play and to live in. You know, it's not a, a big church-going country, so for nine months sometimes... You know, things get tough out there, and, you know, Jimmy's been the guy who's always, you know, on the line, checking how things are going, and, you know, I've been backsliding massively the, the last two years or so, um, and, you know, this weekend's just been a different type of thing, um, you know, I said to Andre, Friday when I got here, it was, oh, a lot of, um, you know, drifting away type stuff, um, then Saturday morning, same thing, you know, we Guys are talking, and I'm thinking other things, and um, thinking about training and you know things that I want to do and stuff. And then yesterday afternoon, just you know, I don't pray for me, <laughs> not once, not twice, not three times, just many times. Um, and things just got clearer and clearer. And <clears throat> as we got to last night, uh, I stood up front, and it was, it was weird. Um, you know, we're talking about praying in tongues, and you know, Andre prayed to me, Stephen prayed to me a few times. And it's, it started coming slowly. I felt this, you know, warm sensation, and my throat like started burning. And then all of a sudden, it felt like I was on my own here. Yeah. There was no one around me. This, this wall straight to get my nose, straight to get my ears, and it's like a blockout. And you know, that's the first time ever that I felt that. that you know, there's 60 guys around me, but there was actually no one around. It was so such a, a weird moment. Um, yeah, it was just life-changing. And, you know, called by the Spirit, and we spoke about a lot. Then I thought, you know, from Friday, no, that's it for me. That's you know, that's for the, for the guys up there, the guys in the front. Um, but it's, it's weird. It's, you know, it's taken a whole weekend to, to break it down, I think. And, you know, guys are set up there this morning. Um, you know, this is just the start of it. And, and I felt this morning when I was standing in the shower that, you know, we mustn't limit God. Um, I think a lot of us limit Him to, to what we can do. And the only pastors, only the guys in front can, can do the, the serious stuff. But, you know, it's for all of us. And, 
the guys were, were growing up this morning, and I'm a, I'm a real softy. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the softest out there, but uh, you know, I don't mind crying. So, I, yeah, thanks, Yeah, awesome testimony of um, what God can do when we allow Him to do something in our lives. You know, this is a guy, he's captain of Proteas, he's the captain of an Australian team, always interviewed, always have to put a brave face on. How's it going? No, it's fine. It's going well. And he knows Jesus. He went on the camp saved. He knows Jesus for his whole life. Grew up in a Christian home. Loves the Lord. But yet there were issues. There were underlying issues. He said two years in Australia has been tough. It's been tough times. It's been battle. And I've been, I visited them in December. And it was an eye-opener to me to, for me to see how God Lewis, you know, the Afrikaans were, how, how, how few people over there speak about church. How few people speak about God. Almost nothing. I mean, I was there for three weeks and no one else besides Johanna and I spoke about the Lord, spoke about church. It's just not something they speak about. It's just not something they do. So an amazing, amazing testimony of what God can do if we are real. If we open up to Him and, and allow Him to work in our heart. And during worship this morning, I was just reminded of, of a friend of mine who lost his father about two, three years ago um, with skin cancer. And he, and he shared with me, he was actually upset with his father um, after, that, after he passed away. I said to him, why, why do you say that? He said, but he had this mole on his face, and he said to his dad, go and check it out, dad. Go and check it out. Just go to the doctor and check it out. And he said, oh, no, man, it's nothing, it's nothing. And in the end, he went to the doctor, dermatologist and whatever, and it was too late. Within a few months, literally from there, he passed away, and, he, and it was just too late to save him. This morning, I want, to, I want to tell you, and I'm so blessed by Vicky's testimony. I didn't even know she's sharing this morning, but praise God, how it works. It's never too late with God. It's never too late with God to share your deepest hurt this morning, your biggest battle, your biggest fears, um, your brokenness, your marriage, whatever you need him this morning. It's never too late to share with him. Okay. So the three things I want to, I want to just focus on that I believe my, that, that, that is the three thing, biggest things that keep us from being real. You know, we come to church, like I say, we go to life groups, we go to work, but yet we are not real with, with ourselves and with the people around us and with God. And, and the first one is pride, position, fear of man, also condemnation, lies from the enemy we believe, and the last one is isolation and disconnect. And I'm going to break them down as we go along. I'm going to start, start with pride. You know, we sit in church and um, sometimes we hear a message and we think, yo, this is a good message. If only Sunny was here this morning to hear that or Pity was here this morning to hear that. And I'm okay, actually. I'm fine. But yeah, if, if only he or she could be here. They need this. They need this. But this morning I want to tell you, maybe this morning you need this as well. Maybe it's time to not just look at other people and other people battling and struggling, but look at ourselves and say, maybe this message is for me this morning. Um, we also sit there and we think, you know, there's an opportunity for prayer. There's an altar call at the end. There's an invitation to come and come forth for prayer. And you're like, you know, this typical sliding down in your chair. Like, mm. Just don't look at me, pastor. Please don't call me. Please don't call me. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'll, I'll survive. Um, because we're scared of people. We sit there and we think, what will people think of me if I have to go forward this morning and come receive prayer? It was, hey, man, it's Jimmy here. Come on. There's nothing wrong with me. Because I'm an elder in church. Maybe you're a life group leader, ex-life group leader, and you sit here and you think, I can't have battles. I can't have issues. I can't have hurt. I can't have pain because, hey, man, I'm, I'm leading this church. People look up to me. You know? That's pride. That's the life from the enemy. It keeps you away from God. You sit here and you think, I'm a big businessman. 
that I've got 150 employees underneath me. I'm the boss. Maybe some of my people here this morning, I can't go up for prayer. That's humiliating, embarrassing. And that's just the way the devil comes and he lies to us. And this pride in our hearts keeps us from actually coming, coming to receive prayer and opening up our hearts and say, God, I need you. I need you this morning to do this for me. Even if it's something small in your heart or if it's a big thing like coming to the Lord for the first time, this morning is the right time to do that. Let's just get pride out of the way and position because let's just see what the scriptures say about pride. It's not just me who doesn't, who don't like it. It's actually biblical. In James 4, verse 6 and 7, it's very clear. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Beautiful scripture, and and 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says exactly the same thing. It warns us. It says, God opposes the proud. He's like against it. He's, He's on the other side. But, and it's a good but, but he gives grace to the humble. He saves the humble. People are reaching out to him like Vicky shared this morning. God, we need you to save our marriage. God, give grace to the humble. And I believe the scripture is twofold where, where, where James writes the first part and he says, it tells us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He puts it out there. And then he gives us an instruction, an advice. He says, submit yourselves then to God. So he tells us, God doesn't like the proud. The proud. He's against it. So what we should do about it? We should just submit ourselves to God. It's simple. We submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not might flee. If you're lucky on the day, you'll flee. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. When will, you, when will he flee from you? When you submit yourself to God. When pride is out of the way, and we come to God in a place of humility and say, God, I need you. Help me in this battle, this battle of, of alcohol, this battle of pornography, this battle of whatever it might be. I'm going to resist the devil from now onwards, and he will flee from me because he's been defeated. I don't know about you, but I don't want to, I don't want to be opposed by God. So I, I, pray, I pray often for, for God to take any pride in my life and just remove it. I, I want to be with God. I want to be with God, not against him. I want to against the devil, and I like it. I like to... Give him hell. Um, and, and the next scripture is one of my favorite scriptures. Um, and maybe you'll, you'll better understand why. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It's in Matthew 26. And we speak about pride versus humility here. And this is just the ultimate example of, of, of humility. And it's, this is not just Jesus. He washed the disciples' feet. And that's an amazing, amazing example of humility. But I believe this scripture here is more in the line of what I'm speaking about this morning this kind of humility to humble yourself and be real with yourself, be real with your friends and with God. In Matthew 26, verse 36 to 39, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to, to, say to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, 
but as you will. Beautiful example of humility. It didn't say, uh, Jesus slipped away quietly without his disciples knowing about it. He went and prayed and he asked God to take this cup away from him because he's Jesus. No. Jesus is the son of God. He's, he's performed miracles. This is the end of his journey on earth. He's about to be crucified. Takes disciples with him. He's sorrowful. He's, 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 he's overwhelmed with, with sorrow and, and, and sadness. And, and he tells them, he says to them, the three guys with him, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me. But we don't do that. Because we important people. How can we share with our friends that we, we're overwhelmed and we need, we need their support, we need their prayer? And he tells God the Father himself. And we, we might think, how could Jesus even think of not going to the cross? I'm going to tell you this morning, and I say it often, he didn't feel like going to the cross. Jesus didn't feel like being beaten up to death. He didn't jump up and down with excitement and say, Woohoo, I'm going to be crucified and be beaten up. He didn't. But he did it for you and for me. So we can be set free through the cross, through his blood, and have life and life to the full. So he tells his father, he says, Father, I'm real here. This is me. I don't want to go through this. If there's any other way, please make a way for me. But, but the important part is, not my will, but your will. And we know that he went to the cross, was beaten up, and he died for you and for me. To set us free, to heal us, to give us hope, to restore us, to save our lives. And if Jesus can be real... Why can't we? The next point, the condemnation part. It's an old, old, old trick from the enemy. Um, he will just tell you, you're not, just not good enough. You don't make the cut. Um, you go to church, and that's very good, but you're just not there yet. You haven't arrived. You're not spiritual enough. You're not good enough. Um, you go through this battle because you deserve it. You're a sinful person. How can you drink every week? You, need, you deserve this punishment. You deserve this. He condemns us. He lies to us. And we, we suck us. We believe him. We say, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah I deserve this. If we, if we believe that we deserve our punishment and our condemnation, we are taking the cross of Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you, but no thank you. It didn't save me. It wasn't good enough to save me. It saved all the other people, but not me. I deserve condemnation. I deserve to sit there on a Sunday morning and feel so dirty, feel so guilty, feel so condemned, and walk out the doors without turning to God and say, God, I need you this morning. Come and save me. But we believe the lies of the enemy because we, are, we think we are condemned by God, and, and we're not. We're not condemned by Jesus. We're condemned by the enemy. Jesus did not come to die to condemn us. And we read that in, in John 3, verse 17 to 19. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So you are sitting here this morning and you've, you've accepted Jesus into your love as your savior and you believe in Jesus Christ. You are going to heaven. You are not condemned. If you're feeling condemned, let me tell you this morning, you are believing a lie. Because there's no condemnation in, in those in Christ Jesus. And, and it says here, God did not send his son to condemn the world. My goodness, why would he send his son to be beaten up and killed for us to be condemned? It doesn't make sense. He sent his son for us to be free. To receive his grace. To restore our marriages. To restore our finances. To restore our hope. To heal our sicknesses. To take away the pain. That's why Jesus died. 
He didn't want to die, but he did. Not to condemn us, but to, to set us free. So we can be saved. So this morning, I want to get to it later, but if you, it says here, if you have not, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. And that's as simple as that. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are condemned. You're going to hell. We're in a battle. Andre shared about a battle two weeks ago in the spiritual realm. We're in a battle. It's good versus evil. It's Jesus, God versus the enemy, Satan. But he's been defeated on the cross. He's been defeated on the cross. And it's for us to decide, I'm going with Jesus to heaven. I'm going to hell with Satan. And this morning might be that opportunity for you. In the illustration I showed with the guy with the chest pain, lying there and deciding between life and death, maybe this morning is your decision between life and death. Maybe this morning you have to say, God, I need you. I've never accepted you. I've been, I've been close to you before in school or varsity, but I've drifted. The one mentioned there, he drifted two years. And he came to a point where God had an encounter with him, pulled him in again, and saved him once again. And just to, if you don't believe me yet about the condemnation part, there's another scripture, and there's many more, but Romans 8 verse 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we say, no condemnation? Yes. There, are no, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you are here this morning and you are in Christ Jesus, you cannot be condemned. If you feel condemned, it is not from God. It's the enemy talking trash in your ear. Do not believe him. Chase him back to hell where he belongs. Uh, I saw this picture on Facebook the other day, and I, I think Rayvon shared it, and I saw it from him. Thanks, Rayvon. Um, and it's just so true. It says, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. How beautiful is that? And that's exactly this condemnation I'm talking about, that the enemy comes and says, I know what you did last night. You can't go to church tomorrow. You can't stand up in church. You can't raise your hands in church. You can't pray in church. You can't go to the altar call because I know what you did last week when you were alone on a business trip. I know what you did. God says, yes, I also know what you did. But I sent my son to save you. I forgive you. I want to restore you. Prodigal son came home after he messed up badly and the father ran to him. He says, my son was dead, but he's alive. Jesus feels exactly the same about us. God feels exactly the same about us. When we sin, he calls us by our name. He says, Jimmy, adversity for that year, you were messing around, you were drinking, you were getting drunk. I know that, but you are Jimmy. I love you. I want to save you. I want to bring you back into my kingdom. And praise God for that. He called me by my name and not my sins. And I could run back to him and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. No more nonsense. I'm saved and I want to live a godly lifestyle. Praise God for His grace. Um, and, and Satan, I, I find him boring. You know, I find him boring and uses the same old nonsense time and time again in our lives. You know, you might have done one thing wrong, one thing, and he'll tell you about that one thing over and over and over. It's old news, buddy. Move on. You know, he's boring. He wants to tell you the same thing over and over. And if we allow him to do that, we allow him to do that, you'll be in bondage because of that. For as long as you allow him to do it, as long as you're believing that lie, he's got you exactly where he wants you. And this is a battle. Remember, we're in the same army. We're in the army of the light. We're in God's kingdom, in his army. 
and we won the battle. But in, on earth here, we are fighting the battle still, and we are wanting other people to come into our army and save them from, from the enemy. And all that Satan wants to do is to shut you up. If he can get you, if he can get you to keep quiet, because of that one sin or that one lie is keep on, keep on telling you, he's, he's winning. He's taking your weapon away from you. He says, okay, you can run around here like a chicken with other head in the, in the battlefield. You're going to mean nothing. You're never going to speak to your colleagues about Jesus. You're never going to pray for anyone else because you feel so condemned. So I've eliminated you. I've taken you out of this battle. Well done. But Jesus said, the devil has no authority. Because all authority on heaven and earth was given to Jesus and given to us through him. So it's up to us what do we believe and what we don't believe. And, and this, on this old fear and old lies, we experienced it recently. You know, with James, our boy, first pregnancy, um, we had a hectic time in the first trimester, the first 13, 14 weeks. Um, Lazar had a few scares, stayed one night in hospital. A few times we actually thought we lost, we lost the baby. Um, it was trouble, trying times, trouble times. And in that, being real again, we said to our elder friends, our people in church, Andre and so said, listen, please pray. Lazal's in bed, she's put on bed rest, there's complications, there's what, what, what. Um, and they prayed for us. Andre came to our house, he laid hands on Lazal, prophesied life, prophesied healing, prophesied amazing things over James. And, and here he is today, he's a beautiful boy, he runs around, he's full of life, he's such a blessing. And we went to a we're expecting a second child, by the way, for those who don't know yet. Um, and Yoshi will be born in December this year. So last week, Tuesday, we went to the doctor for a 13-week scan or checkup. And we even said, we said, yo, praise the Lord, this time around there's no complications. It's the first trimester, has gone, we can tick it off. No complications, God's good, is with us. Um, on the Tuesday. On the Thursday, we were baptizing people. Amazing, amazing time with, with friends and, and people getting baptized and leaving the past behind them. And on that Thursday, in the morning, boom, devil comes and there's exactly the same scare again, like the previous time with James. Rush Lazal to the doctor, check out, baby's fine, put on bed rest again. And I'm upset, eh? I'm like, yes, this is an old trick. This is an old trick, devil. You can bring it on, there's our boy, yes, prove God is alive. God is with us. God is for us. We had four or five scares the previous time with him. Here he is. Look at him. Ha, ha, ha. Take this. Bring it on. It's an old trick, buddy. An old lie. And in that moment, we had to decide. Then I had to decide, are we going to be fearful now and be scared of losing this child and be, be all down and out about it? And I'm baptizing a friend in the afternoon. I'm saying, no ways. Jesus is good. God is good. He's for us. Being real. And... um. We reminded the devil of, of God's goodness, we showed him our boy once again, and um, all good. Praise Jesus for his goodness. Um, you know, and, and, and I want to share more about my friend, Johan. Um, you know, this was an amazing experience for him, a life-changing experience. Um, you know, his family will know his brothers here this morning. He knows, we know Johan is a reserved person, he's quiet, um, so much so that when we visit them before this camp, when we have supper together, you always tell me, Pastor, you must pray for grace. You say grace. And, you know, he's a shy kind of guy um, about his faith. Although he's very solid, he's just shy. So after this happened, God transformed him. He gave him boldness. He, we had a little WhatsApp group after the men's camp, 
And he would be the one encouraging myself and Andre and a few other guys, no peace in them, about God's goodness and share testimonies and share quotes and share scriptures. And, and I'm blown away how God has just transformed him. But, you see, enemy, the enemy doesn't like us to be bold and outspoken and front runners in this war. He wants to shut us up. He wants to take us out. So what happened was, many of you all know about the full use strategy. End of last year, cricket player in Australia. No coincidence that he played with Johan. Johan was his captain. Knew him very well. Got bowled against the head. Rushed to hospital in a coma. Hectic times. Hectic times. They were in Sydney. Johan was in Adelaide. Adelaide Strikers and the Redbacks. So this happened. Their friend, their, their fellow players lying in a coma in a hospital. Not much hope. Team is destroyed. I remember clearly I woke up that morning and I had missed calls from, from him from Australia. And he never phones me. We always Skype and, and messages and whatever. So there's missed calls. And I thought, yo, random. Saw the messages afterwards, shocked by the news of, of Phil in the hospital, whatever else. Long story short, they fly, the team from Adelaide fly back home that morning or evening. On, on the way home, Johan arrives home and he's got this burden on his heart, this, this, this urgency to to go back to, to Sydney about a three-hour flight and go and pray for Phil in ICU. That's not the same Johan I know or I knew. He would never, never even consider flying three hours on his own, walking into the hospital, never met his parents and his family, pray with them, go into ICU, pray for Phil, and he did it. He flew back on his own, he went to pray for him, prayed for his family, and in the same time, the whole of the Australian cricket team is standing there watching all of this, seeing a son of God, compassion for his friend, love for his friend and his family, praying with them, praying with them for comfort, praying for them for God's healing. Amazing, amazing victory for Johan. I commended him and I, I blessed him for that because it was, he, he encouraged me through that act of faith. However, physically, Phil did not survive. He passed away. A few hours after Johan was there, he passed away. They turned the machines off on the request of the family. And the cricket world was shocked. Didn't make it. Um, so not long after, we went to Australia and visited them and spent time with Johan and, and he seemed to be okay about this, you know. We don't understand in the spiritual what happened there. We don't know if God maybe saved Phil's soul while Johan was praying for him in that moment in ICU. His wife actually had a vision. At that time, Johan's wife had a vision and she doesn't get visions often as far as I know. But Phil was standing in a room, in a corner of the ICU room, and he actually stand, stood there with Jesus, and he looked at the people coming into the room to greet him. Now, I don't know, where, I don't know what happened in the spiritual. I'm not going to try and, and guess, but I just believe Johan made an impact going there, stepping out, being bold, but yes, the, yes, this is why I'm sharing this this morning. Oh, long, a while afterwards, he, he realized that he actually took a knock in his faith. And he stepped out in boldness, prayed for him, Nothing happened in the, in the natural. So immediately I see what's happening, and I say to him, you know, let me, let's just get perspective. This is an amazing victory for you spiritually, your boldness, your faith. You went there, you prayed with him. People saw that. People saw a Christian stepping out into, 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 in his faith and pray for him. It's a victory, my friend. And the devil now comes and says, it wasn't a victory. He didn't stand up didn't stand up, it's actually a loss. So you don't pray for people anymore because it doesn't help. 
quieting him, shutting him up, after an amazing act of faith, turns his victory into, into a loss. But Johannes had the decision to, to believe the victory, believe in the victory and stand in that, or believe this lie from the enemy now and say, there's no power in your prayer anyway, wasting your time. And we pray together, and he believed now God is with him, and he can do great things through God, and we defeated the enemy because he is defeated. He's a liar and a thief, and he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, says the word of God. And he will not steal from our friend anymore. He will not steal from us anymore. We will not allow him to lie to us anymore today. Enough is enough because he wants to take us out, but we've won this battle. And if he reminds you of your old sin, and if he reminds you of your past, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 Beautiful scripture where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The old has gone, the new has come. The old is dead, it's passed away. I said to Johan that old Johan, the quiet, timid, shy one, is gone. God um, raised him up as a powerful man of God with boldness. The old Jimmy who parted and who drank and got drunk is gone. Then we come to say to me, but you still sinner, you still want to go out and say, <laughs> nobody, this is the new Jimmy. The old one's gone. Go look for him somewhere else, but this is not him. And I want you to do the same this morning. When he comes to you and he reminds you of your sin and your past, you can tell him, I know, I'm not, no longer that person. That person is dead. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. No more. It's like, it's like someone coming here and he tells us this morning, it was heartbreaking in 95 when the All Blacks won the World Cup here in South Africa. And you're like, what? What are you talking about? The box won. No, 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 no. The All Blacks won. Remember that last minute there was another drop goal by Mertens and the All Blacks just won in the last second. What a tragedy. Madiba was there. It was lovely. But and we're like, this guy is smoking something or what? Because the Boca won. It's a general knowledge. Everyone knows. Go look in the, in the, in the files or look on the TV. Look at the recordings. The Boca won the final. It's over. But people will still believe the lie that the All Blacks won if they don't know the truth. And this morning I want to say to you that the victory is won. The battle is over. We are victorious in Christ Jesus. That's why he died for us. So the old can be buried and put away and the new can be um, risen up and, and be saved. So if someone comes to you and the enemy tells you, you know, sinful person, say, that's not a fact. That's a lie. I'm new creation through Christ Jesus. Go and tell a lie to someone else. Okay, so that's, that's um, condemnation. We're getting to the end. Hang in there. The third one is isolation. People, don't, people are not real with one another, not real with themselves, not real with God because they are isolated. Disconnected from church, disconnected from community, disconnected from God. And there's a reason why the scriptures in Luke 15, Jesus himself speaks here and he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open, open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Because you see, the one sheep on its own is a sitting duck for the enemy. It's a sitting duck, vulnerable for the wolves to come and take it out. There's no community, there's no surrounding, there's no support, there's no nothing. It's on its own. And Jesus says, I will go and look for my one sheep that's lost and bring him to the, to the rest of us so he or she can be safe. And this morning, this is exactly why we should be real with God. And if you feel disconnected, you haven't been in church or you've been in church your whole life, but you've never been able to open your heart to God and say, God, I need you in this area or that area 
this morning is the time to do that and to get connected and um, tell God how you feel. You see, there's people, people leave church and within a year or two they get divorced. That's how real it is, being isolated, being on your own, being disconnected. Friends of ours leave church, get divorced. Two-year marriage, one-year marriage, four-year marriage, and I'm saying, enough of this. In Jesus' name. The devil is taking out our friends here. They're disconnected, they're isolated, they don't come to church, they don't have fellowship, they don't feel God's heart for them. So if you know people who are disconnected and you know they're isolated, bring them to church. Invite them with the life group. If you're the one sitting and you feel disconnected because of what happened last week or the week before or a year before, Jesus is here this morning to bring you in, to connect with you again. It's a simple decision just to step into this morning and join the community of believers and being real. You know, I put a photo up of the Comrades Madison. Some of our members have done it. Um, they need accolades. But, um, you know, sometimes in life we need help. We need our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ to to help us, to pray for us, like in our situation with James and the pregnancy and the other day again. And, you know, we need the support. We can't be isolated. If you feel isolated in church, speak to someone. Get connected. Pray together. That's the, that's the third one of the three that I mentioned. It's, it's pride and position, condemnation and isolation. Those three things will hinder you from being real. That keeps the mask firmly on our faces when we come to church and we're not being real with God. And this morning, um, like I said, I didn't even know a testimony of Vicky. It's amazing. We have another testimony this morning of, of Jeffrey Fry. You can come up, Jeff. He just wants to share with us what God has done in his life and how he saved him. And Jeff is a blessing to this church. He's very involved. He's an awesome man of God. And just thank him for being real this morning and sharing his testimony with us. So let's give him a hand. Thank you, Jimmy. Morning, church. Um, yeah, most of you know me, Jeffrey Fry. Uh, I work at Larson Dominic's Hospital. I'm the engineering manager there. I'm going to share a bit, uh, a brief testimony of, of how God really touched my life and saved me um, back in, in 2004. I was an average boy in school. Um, okay, the mic's a bit loud. <laughs> average boy in school. Um, my grades were, were poor in primary school, but sort of developed and, and, and did, well, I did better in high school. Um, but uh, I didn't fit in many circles in school. Um, I was always the one that was picked on, pushed in the corner, isolated in a sense. So I, I was the kind of guy that would try and, and do what no other boy would do to gain the attention uh, for, from, from the rest of the group. So I played around with some explosives too. Um, but that didn't last very long because my parents uh, soon found out I was using their deep freeze for a, a rapid cooling process for an experiment. Uh, they came home one evening and they, they, they opened up the deep freeze and it smelled like a, a, a petroleum. And they were like, what's going on here? <laughs> So that, 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 didn't, that, that, that uh, came to end very quickly. But uh, yeah, um, during high school, we moved to a farm, and that, that made my circle even smaller. Uh, we, I didn't know anybody, but soon came to meet uh, neighbors, neighboring farmers, and, and their children, and, and so we, we met up. Um, so weekends, I, I was hanging out with them a lot, and uh, we, we did a lot of clubbing together. We went out in the evenings. Uh, I stayed by them, and because their parents were quite open, they just allowed us to go to, to clubs. And, and there we started uh, indulging in alcohol and, and weed, um, and that went on you know, week, week in, week out, um, to the point where we started looking for something stronger. Uh, we then moved to ecstasy, where they came to multiple intakes on weekends. Um, and, and, and uh, yeah, this happened in my parents' home. They didn't really know. I'd slip out at evening. I'd take off the burglar proofing. I'd slip out the house. I'd go and do these things. I'd come back quickly. 
so that we can quickly attend a church service, I shower, clean up, and then attend a church. So, yeah, that was, that was my, my, my teenager uh, life. And uh, not knowing what career to do, I had the opportunity to join the South African Air Force at, at a young age, at 21. In 2001, I joined the South African Air Force. I went up to Pretoria. I did my basics. And from basics, we went into a military school where you start doing your trade. And I tra- my trade is, is avionics uh, in aircraft. And, uh, but there was no boundaries. There was no curfews. You could just do what you want. It was the highest paid apprenticeship in South Africa. So you got paid a, a very good, decent salary. And, and weekends just became a, a big party. I met up with the wrong circle of friends again. We, we, I was exposed to big nightclubs in, in, in Pretoria. I've never been in, in clubs where there's three, four dance floors. It's, it's crazy stuff. But there I started uh, dealing with, uh, getting, getting indulged with, with ecstasy again. We, we then moved on to, to acid as well, so mixing everything up. It was, it was really bad. Uh, friends of mine were beaten in clubs for dealing. Um, we, we've been to Hillbrow to try and get stronger stuff. We moved on to heroin. Um, and it was just snowballing. During, during the, the working days, I loved the, the trade I was doing, so I didn't have to study. I was just excelling naturally. But then on weekends and even, even during the week, uh, it was just chaos, chaos. Anyways, after about a year and a half of that, we moved to, uh, I was, I was well, relocated to, to Cape Town. Uh, I joined the base in Langabon. And, and over there, I, I met a few friends. I met a few friends, and they uh, introduced me to a girl. And I started slowly uh, focusing my attention more to the girl than, than to, to all the drug scene. But um, she, um, and I thought oh, things were going well. I mean, I, I had a good girl that I liked. I, I, uh, I was in the Air Force. Uh, you know, many people get this opportunity. It's popular. And I thought I was, I was doing very well. Um, to the point where then um, she became pregnant, or she felt pregnant. Um, and uh, we decided to, to take the abortion route, unfortunately. Uh, we did the abortion route, but soon thereafter, she decided she wanted to pursue a career overseas. So off she went. I, I supported her, and off she went overseas. And um, so there was there was distance, and in that distance, I I, I, grow, I grew quickly uh, lonely, and I didn't know what to do with myself. So rooted back again to to drugs on weekends, and uh, this time around, being in Cape Town, Tuk is quite big there, and I was exposed to Tuk again. And that just brought out a scary side of me. I didn't know what was going on. Um, it was it's a different type of, of spirit altogether. And uh, one, one evening, I was at home. I spent all the money. Didn't know what to do. The money goes very quickly. You get it. And within the first week, it's finished. And so you're just, you're just buying time. But, but uh, Tick made me lie and, and deceive people. I started asking for cars to go and, and, and try and organize drugs somewhere else. But it was, it was very difficult. So one evening I got a phone call, and it was, it was my girlfriend at the time, and she said that uh, she started accusing me and blaming me for the reason why she's left and she's no longer with me. And she said to me, she, she's moved on now. She's had enough. She's moved on. And uh, that, that broke me. Um, that moved me deeply. I didn't, I didn't know what to do and say on that, on that point. Uh, I thought I was doing really well, and that moved me big time. And um, that evening, I remember, I didn't know what to do, didn't know who to turn to, didn't know what to say. I had no money. I couldn't, I couldn't revert to drugs. It wasn't going to fix this problem. But you see, as a youngster, I was attending church with my parents. But I was that guy that my parents would be sitting in the front, but I'll be, I'll be that guy sitting right at the back. 
and uh, just you know, ignoring the service, mindful of other things, what I'm going to be doing the next week, distracted big time. But I, I, I knew, I heard the tap on my heart. I could hear the tap on my heart, but I, I never responded to it. I never, I was just too enjoying the, the life and the party scene. I didn't want to make that commitment. So I stood week in, week out, and um, my parents got, got very involved with the service, uh, with, with, with eldership and, and church. And, but I just kept on staying at the back. And um, so I knew, I knew Jesus. I knew what he could do. I knew God. I, I heard him, but I never made a commitment. But that evening, down and out in my, in my deepest place, I, I was so moved that I just cried out to God that night. And I cried out big time from, my, from, my, from, from, that, from that deep place in my heart. And um, I remember just sitting down, and I was just crying, crying, crying. I've never cried like it before in my whole entire life. And uh, that went on for hours and hours. Eventually, I fell asleep, and I woke up in the morning. But when I woke up in the morning, I felt like, I felt like a new person. Um, just, just the way I was just opening up, and, and, and God was just coming in and consuming me and consuming my heart. I woke up the next morning um, feeling new, not quite sure what's going on, but God's quite awesome the way he just moved me to, to a door. There was a, there was a, a brother, a fellow well, a Christian, in, in the block we were staying in. It's a three-story three building, and, and he was a Christian. And I ended up knocking on his door and saying, I need help. Please uh, just talk to me a bit more. And he took me through Scripture. And night in, night out, we just, we just went through Scripture, Scripture. And we started, he just started praying with me. And slowly I, I started to see a, a true, true, true identification of who I really, really was. And I remember one evening as I walked out the door, I turned around and said, so tell me, am, am I saved now or what? <laughs> Because you're quite, not quite sure. You don't know what's going on. You feel this newness. You, you know, you feel something is different, but you don't know what it is. And he said, no, you saved. You go, go to sleep now. <laughs> and um, I soon uh, connected into a church in Langabon, and they, they discipled me further, and I was, I was groomed and nurtured. But, um, yeah, the, the very guys that I was connecting with in, in, in the drug scene, within a few weeks later, they, they themselves started coming to Christ one by one. Uh, I was in the circle, and the circle just kept on spiraling. You know, you never know what kind of circle you're in, but that circle goes in and out, and you connect with other people. And I connected with these guys again, and I just shared from a place. I was just, we, we were all real with each other. We, we knew what was happening, and I just shared with them. And, then, and they'd be asking, you know the Son of God movie? That movie has touched many, many people's lives, and I had a ripped copy. And that ripped copy was touching people's lives in that Air Force base like you have no idea. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, soon, soon people were, were, were really um, being connected with, with, with Christ. And not too long after that, uh, I, I decided to go back home to my parents and just share with them, tell them what's happened in my life. And I went home and I told my dad and mom that, 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 they, that, that I'd been saved. Now, to take you a little bit of a, into a deeper story about the relationship I had, um, the lady that I was dating at the time, she wasn't white. And when I told my parents about this, they isolated me completely. They rejected me. They kicked me out of the house and they said, we don't ever, ever, ever want to talk to you again. And that, that quickly spread into the family and then I was isolated. But at that time, I thought I was okay because I had the girl that I liked and I was working in the Air Force, so it was okay. But when God saved me and he touched my, my heart, I, I felt compelled to go back to them. So I went back to them and I told them that I was saved. And my dad quickly said, my son, you, your zeal is not going to last long. It's going to die off quickly. And, and that was that was the that was the reply I got got from him, but I knew even though it wasn't me that that rejected, there was nothing that I did wrong. I still wanted to go back and repent to them. 
So within about a month or so uh, of me being at home, and they had accepted me uh, because they knew the relationship was over. They had accepted me in the house, and I was in the house. But about a month or two later, they, the one evening, they, they both opened up to me, and they said, you know, we, we are really sorry for what we've done to you. We, we've rejected you, and we've grown cold towards God. Uh, my parents had been hurt lots in church, and um, they've been in, in a lot of church plants, and, and things just go really badly wrong. Uh, how the enemy comes in, like Jimmy's saying, and uh, tries to distract and pull the church apart. And uh, they've grown cold. They said that's enough. They've had enough of it, of church life, and they've grown cold. And so as they grow cold, they started rejecting the people around them that they love the most, without them even knowing it. It's a ploy from the enemy. And um, they embraced me that evening. Yeah, we cried together for hours, uh, my mom, dad, and, and I. And, and God touched and restored their lives in an instant. And uh, he's to restore the family, and the family has come together again. So that's, uh, that's, that's my, my story, uh, short testimony, where God's taken a common young boy and redeemed him. And, and for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful. I'm forever grateful. Wow. What a wonderful testimony of God's goodness, of His grace. That's why Jesus died on the cross to save us through our deepest, darkest times. Um, Jessica, you can come up, thanks. Um, and this morning I want to end off with this invitation. That, and I also don't know about the song that we, the Heal Billy song, as Quibbers call it. It was amazing. In the, my last slide is the invitation from God. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are burdened, weary, tired, Exhausted, broken, marriages on the edge of divorce, heartbroken. So let's just, let's just be real this morning with ourselves, with God. Um, Friday I attended a funeral, a friend who played cricket with me up until two seasons ago. 47 years old, passed away from cancer. And that's just life. Life happens, guys. Um, I don't know where you are this morning in your spiritual journey with the Lord. I don't know if you received Jesus in your life. But this morning, there's an invitation that God's saying, come to me. Come to me. Be real this morning. Tell me what you need me to do from you, for you. I'm here. I'm here. And as a father, I know when my boy needs me, I want to give to him what he needs. If he's sick, I want, to tell, I want him to tell me my tummy is sore, my head is sore, so I can attend to it because I love him. This morning, God is saying to us, come. Be real. Take off that mask.